Welcome to Nach Yomi, and we are going to be continuing today from Yehoshua, Perak Yudala, the 14th chapter of Sefer Yehoshua, as we move through Nach day by day, step by step, chapter by chapter. Here we go. This Perak is now dealing with a very particular issue. The Perak starts off, generally, describing how, as we're about to enter the section of, this, of the book, which deals with the Chalukah, the division of the land, the way it was done was that it was done via the Goral. The Goral was this lottery, which was used to differentiate who got which section and internally which sections were divided in such a way. Now, we'll get to a little more of these details as we go through the following, um, the following prokem, but right now it just describes how the, the, um, the tribes on the east bank of the Jordan got their Goral and they were divided up. And then we're just, we have a very interesting story that occurs. The, 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 the Perak describes how uh, the children of Yehuda approached Yehoshua, who's still the leader now after finishing his conquest, and particularly by Kalev ben Yefune from Hakanizi. Now, Kalev comes along and says to Yehoshua, you know, there was actually a promise that Moshe made to me personally. Um, when I, I, I was 40 years old, when I was one of the Miraglim. We know that Kalev was one of the Miraglim, and he was sent in to, as one of the 12 spies into the land of Israel. And everybody else, all the other 10 Miraglim, with the exclusion of Yehoshua, um, m- melted the hearts of the people, meaning they really, like, they really um, brought the people to a, to a terrible state, and that's why they didn't want to go into the land. And he says, I followed Hashem. And Moshe told me that I will get the land that I walked on, and it will be, it'll be my, my personal inheritance. Please give me the, the area, the, this area. I'm 85 years old now, um, and, um, and, uh, and I, uh, I, I'm still as strong as anything. I, I can make a conquest. Please give me that, that area um, and, and allow me to conquer it. And Yoshua says, go ahead, no problem, because this is clearly one of the unconquered cities. Yoshua gives him a bracha and allows Ikalev to go ahead and he attacks and conquers Hebron, the area which was called, um, which used to be called Kiryat Arba. Um, and the, the, the Tanakh ends the parak by saying, because it was called Ha'adam Ha'gadol Ba'anakimhu, that it, was, uh, it, it used to be called Kiryat Arba because there was a great person among giants. For, and then after all of this, the land was silent from war. Okay, so just a few things to think about when looking at this parak. Um, the first of the, of the things to notice over here, over here is, is that we can gain from this, this particular peric the actual timeline of events now. Because we know that the Miraglim, Rashi points this out, we know that the Miraglim, the spies were sent in the beginning of the second year in the desert experience. Which means that there are 38 years left of the desert experience. And if Kalev was 40 then and 85 now, as he described himself, he has therefore planted the end of the conquest to be... Um, to be seven years. Seven and 38 is 45, which is the difference between his ages. So we now know how long the kivush, the conquest, took because of Kalev's very clear timeline of his own life. That's point number one, which was really fascinating. Number two is, um, is this land of Hebron that, that your Kalev gets, gets is very special because you know Hebron is also the, the place where there is the Ma'ara Samachpela, the cave in which there were the four couples buried, um, Adam and Sarah, um, Avraham and um, Sarah, uh, Adam and Chava, Avraham and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, and Yaakov and Leah. 
And it is this area which is so important to Kalev. Why was it so important to him? So when you go back to Parshas Shlach, we know that Kalev actually went there to daven for strength um, against the plot of the, or the, the position of the Miraglim. And this is why he was able to get this, and this is why it was promised to him this land. In fact, Rashi comments, quoting a Medrash, that when it says at the end of the, past, the, the Perak that the name of Hebron used to be called Kiryas Ara because of the great giant who was there, Rashi points out that it's not referring to the giants, the literal giants who lived in that area. They did too, as the Torah describes Kiryat Arba. But nonetheless, it is referring to Avraham Avinu, meaning, why was it? Well, in, in which schus did Kalev have to conquer this land and for the land to be quiet there afterwards in this territory? was because of the giant, the spiritual giant who was buried there, who enabled this all to happen. Last, last point, uh, to a couple of points. Number one is the, 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 the Perak ends with the words that the land was quiet, or it's shakta, and the land was quiet from war. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So we always think, well, that's great, you know, like we have avoided war, so everything's great. The Radak points out something which is worthwhile thinking, especially in today's politics as well, is that, yeah, you, it was quiet, but it wasn't a good quiet. It was because they didn't finish their job. And that's an uneasy quiet, meaning sometimes war is necessary. Sometimes it is necessary to eradicate bad things in the world. Um, and the Radak is saying is that this quiet was not a good quiet because Yeshua did not finish, Israel did not finish their job fully, and this quiet is going to be the quiet before the latest storms of Sefer Shoftim. Something to think about in terms of, you know, do we create... Um, do we create everything just for harmony and serenity? Or do we have to sometimes make sacrifices to make sure that the harmony and serenity is real and long-lasting? Finally, the last moment in the Al-Sheikh picks up on this point, And that is, is the law, this is a very, very powerful peric. Think about this just from an emotional perspective. There were 12 spies. And of those 12 spies, 10 of them defected. 10 of them gave a bad report. Two of them remained true. One was Yoshua and one was Kalev. But they were actually quite different to each other. Yoshua never was part of the plot at all. He never went with them. He was completely on his own mission. He had an extra Yud added to his name, Yehoshua from Hoshea. He really was on his own mission. Kalev seemed to be a little more involved with them. He did the walk. He explored the land with them. And actually, he said the same things as they did at the beginning. He describes the big fruit and the great cities and the giants. He says the same words as them after, um, at the beginning. It was at the end, Vayas Kalev Esa'am. At the end, Kalev quietens on the people as if he's one of the negative Miraglim. And then Kalev goes on to say, no, no, we can make it. We can enter into the land of Israel. In this parak, the way the Al-Sheikh reads it, is Kalev is making his plea to Yoshua. Understand, Yoshua, although I started off with them, I started saying the same things as they, as they were saying, in my heart, I was believing something else. In my heart, even though the fruit were big, there was a blessing. Even though the people were big, there was a blessing. Even though they were burying people, there was a blessing. All the things that I was saying, and they were saying, they were saying negatively, I was saying positively. And when Yoshua blesses them, this is this final capstone moment of these two Miraglim, who really, you know, we, we sort of lumped together, but really had different ways of going about their mission, and they finally come together. And Yoshua, the leader, coming and, and giving that bracha to Kaled, the leader, and giving that land back to him. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.